Hi, you're with Julian on the Brown Note and Afghanistan 2.0, a kinder, gentler machine gun Taliban. An overview of what's happened and how we got here, who's to blame, what we can do, and um, a look at the very real possibility that it's a very different paradigm to the end of the 1980s or the first round of the Taliban. And what about the two big players in the background, Russia and China, what's going to happen there? So it's, um, it's invoked Saigon and America's fabulous retreat at the hand of rice farmers uh, decades ago, which um, is it's kind of symmetrical because Vietnam formed this view in America after they'd been meddling in so much after World War II. It was such a debacle and uh, it, it cast a pall over America who then sort of meddled in Central and Latin America for years in the background, but avoided an all-out war at all costs again. And uh, it was only with the first Gulf War. I remember the first Gulf War in the early 90s and there was a big spectre hanging over it. Would they actually go into Iraq? It was a big question because it was the first similar thing that they'd done since Vietnam. And they were very cagey about it. But since then, they've really been on the roll. And everyone's saying that with the American withdrawal from Kabul and the Taliban takeover of the country, that it is Saigon again. Um, how we got here is I did a piece a few weeks ago on um, the timeline of Afghanistan and American intervention and support, arming, funding, training and political support of Islamists. Go, you can go all the way back to them first sort of deciding that Saudi interests were their interests, the home of Wahhabi Islam uh, and Osama bin Laden, of course. Um, even Iran, when they overthrew, alongside the UK, overthrew the first democratically elected uh, leader of Iran in, I think, 1952, because he uh, supported nationalizing the oil industry, America was in there supporting Islamists at the time. They actually support, supported Islamist groups in Afghanistan uh, from around 1973. So there was a big build-up. They've always kind of supported totalitarian dictators if they've meant they got access to, you know, their markets, or they've supported Islamists if those Islamists were against Russia. And to a very large degree, America is responsible for the defining issue of this century so far when it comes to the battlefield and it comes to terrorism, which is the West's battle with Islamists. Um, they then launched the largest CIA operation in history, which was the 10-year Operation Cyclone, which was uh, costing them something like $657 million a year at one point, where in Afghanistan, they had a very forward Western-looking Islamic country. The communist-leaning government was in control, and there were the tribal civil war was about to break loose. But the country itself was fully functioning, and women are famously photographed walking around Kabul in short skirts and looking very modern and glamorous and Western. And America decided that Russia had come in and invaded the country. They never did. They were invited in <coughs> by the actual government of Afghanistan at the time to fight off these Islamist groups. 
<clears throat> that were broadly coming out of the uh, northern Pakistan region where the Pashtun tribes were. So they funded, armed and trained the Mujahideen, who we know became the Taliban. The Taliban grew out of these camps in uh, northern Pakistan where uh, Mujahideen fighters had actually rested up and fomented this new group. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have to cut that one out. It was a bit loud. So then we had the Taliban in control. Russia retreated and um, America had given the world the Taliban. Now, the Taliban had similar goals to what they have now. They wanted international legitimacy. Through the mid-90s, they were traveling to places like America to meet with oil executives and you know fossil fuel people and, and the like. But in their midst and alongside the uh, Operation Cyclone was Osama bin Laden, who'd been there for the entire duration, who had, had been arming and funding and training alongside the uh, CIA. And he had built up this big army of people, big enough that he actually offered to go into Kuwait when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait at the start of the 90s. He offered to go in with his army. Throughout the 90s, of course, um, Osama bin Laden had threatened America numerous times to remove American troops from the Holy Land, including uh, two embassy bombings in Africa and eventually 9-11. Now, the, uh, the Taliban around that time were not projecting outwards at all, and they're not now. They never have projected outwards. Um, but America decided within days of the 9-11 attacks that they had to fight someone. They were like the angry guy at the pub, and they had to just beat someone up. And they chose Afghanistan because they actually wanted to go to Iraq, but as it was pointed out, they had absolutely no reason to go to Iraq because they weren't connected with 9-11 whatsoever. So they had to wait a year or so and invent weapons of mass destruction. But they did go into Afghanistan, and <clears throat> they used the um, guys that Osama bin Laden was based there. Now, this war was completely illegal. It didn't meet any of the UN criteria for going to war, which is that the country has to be attacking you or a threat to you. There was no evidence that this was true, that they were likely to attack you or one of your other member states. The Taliban had not projected out in any direction outside of Afghanistan. The war did not meet the criteria which America is a signatory to. It was illegal. But the tactics at the start were terrible. America did exactly what they did in Iraq, which was not put enough troops on the ground and completely eradicate the Taliban. They went in with air power and they took control and for 20 years they've been fighting the longest war that they've ever fought and the Taliban are now back in control. Now, a lot of people are blaming Biden for this, blaming the fourth president to have been involved in Afghanistan in a row. Bush started this war, he went in, him and Cheney, for eight years, they fought this war. Obama stayed for another eight years, Biden's been in there for eight months. Um, how he is to blame for this scenario, I don't know. Particularly galling is President Trump, who has now come out and lambasted the biggest foreign policy embarrassment of all time, even though the exit withdrawal was his plan. He put a plan in place last year to withdraw all his troops, all American troops from Afghanistan by May. I don't know how him leaving by May was less likely to give the Taliban the country, but um, he seems to like having the upper hand. Um, the Biden had two options here, and I kind of 
there's almost a grudging respect that he actually did it. Because the two options were this. They stick to the timeline that Trump negotiated with the Taliban, which was to withdraw from America, or they throw loads more troops in. The Taliban didn't take Afghanistan a few weeks ago. They had been taking the country for the last two years, and America had no answer. They have found out exactly as they did with the rice farmers in Vietnam that people embedded in these very hostile, difficult terrains who have nowhere else to go and who are fighting for their home will not go easy. And they never did. And um, they had taken large swathes of the country by May this year. And it wasn't, it was a foregone conclusion. So there wasn't anything that America could do. Nothing. The mistakes of Afghanistan were made by George Bush going into the country and George Bush not fighting the war properly in the first place. No one else can really be blamed for what happened because there was no other outcome. And um, it was always going to end up like this. It just took a long time. So why are the Taliban different this time? Well, it's a different world. For a start, they want two things. They want, above all else, they want international legitimacy and they want money. Now, they have to behave very, very different than they did in the 90s. If you ever want to see what life in Afghanistan under the Taliban 1.0 was, watch the film Osama. You won't thank me. It's horrible. It's about a girl that um, lives with her mum and her grandmother in a house in Taliban-controlled Afghanistan, and it was uniquely filmed prior to the American invasion. So you get a sense of what life was like under the Taliban. She, her dad, dies, and under Taliban law, you cannot leave your house if you are an unattended woman. So there's three women in the house, they cannot leave home, so they just starve. And the little girl shaves her head, pretends to be a boy, and goes to work in the shop so they can get food. She is then taken by the Taliban to join their Mujahideen uh, war, and uh, they find out she's a girl, so they put her up to her neck in the sand and are about to stone her to death when some geriatric guy decides that he will take her and make this 13-year-old girl his wife number 14 and um, gets her to choose the padlock that he then puts on the door where she will spend the rest of her life inside crying as most of the other ones are. It's horrific. But this time around, there are some interesting conundrums for the Taliban. It's a very different world now. They need international legitimacy, and they crave it. And they, would, they kind of wanted it last time. But they also want access to money and international trade. Now, the biggest stick that we can hit the Taliban with at the moment is economic sanctions. But there's nothing militarily we can do. We can carpet bomb the country, and the cockroaches will still live. It's never going to happen. But they will flounder if the international community passes economic sanctions. That is the biggest stick to making them not behave appallingly to women and every other minority group in their own country. These people were brought up on war. Many of them, the majority of the Taliban now, have only known war. They were born into it. So it's not going to be as easy as switching that tap off, but they seem to be coming across a lot more savvy this time. Um, there's 
there's a lot of difference in the way that the major players are, are, are acting and their positions. Last time around, America was their friend. The people that funded, armed and trained them, Russia was their enemy. This time around, America is their enemy. So that's a very interesting, different paradigm. Um, <clears throat> the different actors on the world stage are the fact that it is America v China on the world stage this time around. So it's a very different world. The internet has made the promulgation of information very different to how it was in the year 2000. And the way that um, that information is used, we saw a Taliban spokesperson phoning up a female journalist live on air recently. And that was a pretty savvy thing to do publicity-wise, public relations-wise. So I don't think that the Taliban are going to give up all of their goals um, as regards to their mistreatment of everyone and enforcing of Sharia law, but they won't be able to trade if they do oppress women like they have done before. And if they are involved in barbaric practices of stoning women to death for adultery or, you know, even probably forcing women to be completely covered all the time, they're making these overtures that they're not going to do that. I suspect that they may not. I suspect the lure of international legitimacy and of international trade may outweigh these moral concerns that they have. So I do expect that there will be a difference there. The overwhelming outcry here now is that the Taliban will allow al-Qaeda to prosper again in their country. There is a different paradigm here too. If you'll notice, the last decade had very few of these international terror attacks that we had from the year 2000 to 2008 or so. And when they did happen, like in places like London, they were individual actors that lived in, this, in that country that had no connections with outside groups. That was because when Osama bin Laden died, was murdered, um, the new guy that took over Al-Qaeda had a very different view of how things should happen. Massively cut back on international attacks and massively focus on the areas of the world where Islamists are rising in Africa and in the Middle East where they can actually focus on fighting internal wars that they might actually win. So I think that even though um, Al-Qaeda are in Afghanistan and they've never left, they are too a different actor now because they are again moved away from <clears throat> they're, they're very unlikely now to sanction some big bombing somewhere they're much more likely to fund people in you know nigeria or somewhere in a war that they're that they think that they can win than attack international people so it is also not enough in the taliban's interest to be out to actually promote these people anymore because that will get them sanctioned more than anything else more quickly so i believe that the taliban 2.0 will actually make some sort of attempt at providing a different paradigm to the original taliban and will do so on the basis of legitimacy and trade and that that will be the West's biggest weapon that they have. The two actors that are in the background here are Russia and China. Uh, China were not on the scene last time. China has a border with Afghanistan. This is one thing that America continually involves itself in 
countries that have borders with Russia or the Soviet, old Soviet Union or with China. Now, China has a Uyghur population in the millions who are Islamic and who have been subject to uprisings. The last thing that China wants is an Islamic Republic on their doorstep that is a beacon to the world and will encourage their people to rise up and have safe havens to fight China from. <clears throat> so this is a big deal for China. I think the Taliban will try and make nice with China. Um, there are a number of reasons. For one thing, China needs to play this as America's great fail. America beats China around the head with democracy and human rights on the global stage. China wants to be a player on the global stage. It doesn't want to be an isolationist country at all. This kind of thing is their best weapon because it makes America look terrible and hip hypocritical. And they also, China has this Belt and Road Initiative, which is to take goods from China, avoiding the sea because a lot of it is controlled by America or American allies and goes straight through places like Afghanistan and reach places like Iran or Turkey. So those things are huge. And I think China will try and play nice with the Taliban, even though they have absolutely no love for Islamists and they have a problem in their own midst with the Uyghurs. So the other is Russia. Now, Russia was the enemy of the Taliban. I, I don't think so. I think that they will take a different tack this time. I don't think Russia has any interest in being friends with the Taliban, but a few things have changed. The old Soviet Union bordered Afghanistan. Now it's a lot of post-Soviet countries that are Russia. Russia doesn't have a border with Afghanistan anymore, and a lot of those countries like Turkmenistan, all the stans, are also deeply worried about Islamic uprisings. So they will be looking at the Taliban as well, and they will be looking to Russia for protection. So in a, in a really perverse way, it actually bolsters Russia's power in the region that they can then offer some sort of military or muscle support to all of these countries that are ex-Soviet countries that they want to have influence in. And I think the Taliban are going to be very, very wary of any Islamic groups that are seeking to use Afghanistan as a bolt hole. So I think both Russia and China will actually play nice with the Taliban. Again, they will use it as an American fail. Um, and the other thing is Russia doesn't want Afghanistan to be a failed state again. They would rather Afghanistan was run by a functioning Taliban than become a complete hotbed of Islamic nightmare for them. So I think they'll look after it. Um, and what should the West do? Well, as I said, the only thing we've got is economic sanctions, and that is a much more powerful weapon than um, <coughs> weaponry ever would be against the Taliban anyway. But what we should do, given the appalling illegal war that we wage in the country, is take every last refugee from that country that wants to leave. If 30 million Afghanistanis want to leave Afghanistan, we take all of them. We have that duty and we should look after every single person that wants to live in the West from Afghanistan. And that is the only thing we can do. This was a monumental screw up. And the one thing I would say to bookend this is Saigon may have been a disaster for America, but 
Vietnam had been at war for decades. After Saigon fell, Vietnam actually prospered and is a completely functioning country today. We talked pretty badly about the Viet Cong and the, who they were and what they represented. But eventually, that country became a very popular tourist destination, a fully functioning economy, very capitalist for a communist country, and um, maybe the Taliban won't be the disaster that the last... And from 1980 until 2020... Barring about seven years, that country has been at war. I'm, I don't know that it will be worse, um, and it, I don't believe the Taliban will play like they did last time.